Word of God. And our scripture reading this morning will begin in Genesis chapter 18. Genesis 18, we'll read verses 1 through 15. And the Lord appeared to him, that is, Abram, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. So far from Genesis, let's also turn now to the New Testament, to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter 2, we'll begin in verse 11 and we'll read through chapter 3, verse 7. And you'll notice that the text that we're focusing on is chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. But we'll start in chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people." Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. 
Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So far, the reading of God's Word. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 62, stanzas 5 through 7. Next to which we want to give our attention is 1 Peter chapter 3, the verses 1 through 6. Uh, you may be helped by having those verses open in front of you as we work our way through them. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we should begin by acknowledging that in our culture, in this time, uh, perhaps even for some within our own congregation, the kinds of instructions that we find here in Scripture pertaining to wives uh, are absolutely despised and rejected in our world. They are regarded uh, by our culture as primitive as sexist, as patriarchal, uh, and as something even to be not only rejected, but ridiculed and mocked. That's our culture. That's the context in which we now today hear these words. And so, looking more broadly at the letter of Peter, if Peter's words uh, to citizens in regards to their government were hard words to hear, and if Peter's words to slaves in regard to their masters were hard words to hear, uh, then the apostles' words to wives, uh, particularly in our culture, will be difficult to hear. It's considered chauvinist. It's considered out of touch with progress, out of touch with where our culture is today. So that's what we're up against as we, as we come to a text like this. So then by way of introduction, I would uh, begin by asking all of us to remember uh, in the first place that these are the words of God. 
The words of God that abide forever, though the nations are like grass. Uh, And they're the words of God written through the Apostle Peter and written with love and concern for suffering Christians. Uh, They're the words of of Christ. uh, Christ who commissioned the Apostle Peter. Christ whose spirit filled the Apostle Peter. uh, And written to the very believers for whom Christ died. They're words written with love. Uh, We should remember as well, this isn't the only part of this letter uh, that is offensive uh, in our day. Uh, that's objectionable for our, our, our proud hearts. The, indeed, the whole letter intercultural in its ethic. Uh, so the question will always be when we come to texts like this, just as it was last week when we dealt with the, the words, or two weeks ago, with the words to slaves, do we trust the Lord God? Do we trust the Lord Jesus to give us words of life? Words that heal us, words that help us. And do we have the humility to accept that His design, His purposes are good? Just as when we dealt with the words to citizens under a cruel government, all sorts of questions go through our mind. To what degree, in what circumstances do you submit to such a cruel government? And are these words really for our good? Or will the government use them to its advantage Well, the same questions run through our mind when we come to the words to to wives. Uh, The same with slaves. Uh, It's a hard thing for a slave to have to hear words of uh, a call to submission. Uh, But the big question is, uh, do I know myself as one who's been redeemed by the Lord Jesus and now called to follow in his footsteps? Him who, as Peter says, was reviled, uh, was caused to suffer, uh, but did not revile in return, but rather gave himself uh, for the will of God. So Peter then, uh, having gone through the call of citizens and the call of slaves, he now draws our attention to the callings of husbands and wives within the realm of the home. Uh, This week we'll look particularly at his words to wives, and then next week we'll look at his word to husbands. And we want to start with the word likewise. You notice this this text, chapter 3, verse 1, begins with the word likewise, which means this instruction isn't coming out of nowhere. There's a context for it. Uh, And what Peter is doing, he's applying the the same gospel principles that he applied earlier to citizens and to slaves. He's now applying to uh, marriage uh, because, on the same ground as he had just said before, because we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people of God's own possession. That's why these instructions come. Uh, We are also exiles. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. Exiles, sojourners in this world, which means our life will be weird. We'll be strange in the eyes of the world. But our call is to live lives that are beautiful, that are honorable, that are upright in the sight of God. That means doing sometimes what is hard, what is hard, uh, so that by it we may give a good and winsome testimony to the gospel of Christ. Now, the scenario that Peter has in mind in particular uh, is, is the case where there may be a Christian wife married to a non-Christian husband. Now, that doesn't mean that his instructions here don't apply in any other uh, marriage. Uh, in a marriage, for example, where both husband and wife love and serve the Lord. Uh, the instruction is clearly universal. So he says, 
Wives, submit to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word. So he doesn't say, wives, if your husbands don't obey the word, then submit to them. But it's submit to them so that even if they don't obey the word, they might be persuaded by your good conduct. So that means, uh, by implication, that, that this is a calling for all Christian wives to submit to their husbands and to do so in that, indeed all the more if their husbands are Christians. Now to understand this then, we need to understand the biblical view of marriage. If these instructions are foreign or mind-boggling to us, it may be because we've lost sight of God's purposes for marriage. Now, what God teaches us in His Word is that husband and wife are are unique, complementary partners in a sacred relationship of marriage. And each of them have unique gifts and unique callings within that relationship. Uh, we can contrast that with uh, our, our culture where the predominant view of marriage in our culture is the view, uh, it's known uh, as egalitarianism, uh, which essentially teaches that there are no innate differences between men and women other than the basic uh, biological uh, differences. Uh, and certainly there are no differences in terms of callings or responsibilities. Uh, so uh, the fact that men and women are equal is then extended further in our culture to, uh, to mean that men and women are essentially the same. Uh, understood this way, then marriage, uh, as our culture sees it, marriage is nothing more than a consensual relationship between two individuals, non-gendered, ungendered uh, individuals. It's no surprise then that in our marriage, gay uh, marriage is, is so readily accepted since to our culture it makes no difference what the gender of a person is in marriage. That's very different from the biblical view of marriage, uh, where from, from beginning to end, from Genesis all the way to, to the marriage feast of the Lamb we find in, in Revelation, uh, men and women are made different. Uh, They're created different with unique callings uh, within marriage. Uh, And marriage itself is a sacred relationship that God designed to bless us and to serve us and to teach us things about his own love for us, uh, his people. And so then, within God's design for marriage, husband and wife will have different callings, different responsibilities, indeed uh, unique gifts by which they serve one another, uh, each contributing what the other lacks, uh, each benefiting from the unique gifts offered by the other, uh, and each flourishing then in that singular relationship that's designed by God himself. And it's within that biblical design for marriage that husbands are called to lovingly and sacrificially lead their families uh, under the authority of God to take responsibility for their families. And then conversely, the wife is called in that relationship to respect, to honor, to affirm her husband's calling and to be a help and support to him as he leads his family in righteousness and and, and truth. Uh, and then for the children, children are called in Scripture to honor and obey both father and mother. You see that in the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. Uh, that's, that's the call for children. 
Uh, what this leads to then is fully integrated family units, family lives, where husband and wife are serving each other, blessing each other, complementing each other, uh, in, in both senses, I guess, of the word, but I mean um, each contributing what the other uh, lacks. Uh, and the children then are together led by their parents in a godly life. The family then forms a, a strong and formidable unit under God's design. Now, this does not mean that husbands have ultimate authority. It's a very important point. Uh, ultimate authority always belongs to God. There are authorities above any husband, including uh, the authorities of the church and the authority of the government. If a husband sins against his wife, she can and should appeal to uh, the church. Uh, If he commits a crime, she can and ought to report it to the state. Uh, the, The man's authority is not absolute. It is not the highest authority. And we'll talk more about that next week when we deal with verse uh, 7. But suffice it to say that any man who who wishes to be in authority without being willing to be under authority, under God's authority, is a hypocrite and a dangerous man. For for you wives, Peter's instruction to, to wives is you are to be subject or in submission to your own husband's. And what this means for, for you wives is you are to honor their God-given, God-given calling uh, as your husband to, to lead you uh, and, and are to show due respect and submission, deference and support. I get it. That, that runs 180 degrees against our prevailing culture. It, it will be called sexist, patriarchal, repressive, uh, and, and many other things. Uh, but, but again, this is not, it's not my command. It's not even ultimately Peter's command. Uh, it's the command of Christ, our Savior, and even above him, the command of God the Father. Now, I, I do want to take a moment to, to state and give scriptural support for uh, a number of things that submission does not mean. Uh, when we covered uh, this same issue in our series in Colossians, I spent, uh, looking back, I spent most of the sermon uh, describing what submission does not mean. And I don't want to do that again because our call here is to preach the message of the text, uh, not to tell everyone what, what, everything it does not mean. Uh, but that said, there are uh, some things submission does not mean, and these are important for us to know. Uh, number one, submission does not mean agreeing on everything. It's often been distorted that way. A wife, to submit, means she must agree with her husband. Well, that's not what Scripture teaches. Uh, after all, Peter is writing to Christian wives, thinking of those who are married, to non-Christian husbands. Of course, it doesn't mean to agree with their husbands uh, in, in their unbelief. A wife does not leave her brain at the door when she, when she makes her marriage vows. She doesn't cease to think. Now, in Genesis 2, at the very institution of marriage, God said, I will make for man a helper fit for him. Uh, by the way, if anyone's offended by that word helper, it's good to remember that word is used of God more than it is uh, used of anything else. In Psalm 90, the Lord is our, uh, our help, our, our, oh God, our help in ages past. Uh, so it's not a demeaning uh, word. Uh, but she's created to be a helper, and if she's to help her husband, 
that also means using her brain, thinking, uh, contributing to, to the thought uh, that takes place in the home. And every wife knows this. Every wife knows your husband needs your help. Uh, you are to provide thoughtful, wise input and counsel. That's part of the help that every man needs. Uh, secondly, submission does not mean avoiding the effort to influence or change a husband. And it's just as obvious from the same text, thinking again, Peter's writing to Christian wives married to non-Christian husbands. And in fact, the whole point of submission in this text uh, is so that those husbands might be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Uh, it is part of your calling then, wives, to, to help your husbands to grow in holiness, uh, in godly manliness, in wisdom. Uh, Submission does not negate that calling. Uh, It refers rather to the attitude and the demeanor in which that calling is exercised. Thirdly, submission does not mean putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Uh, How often uh, submission, the word has been used to to promote that very thing. Uh, That if your husband tells you to do something, it doesn't matter whether God approves of it or not. You must obey your husband. Well, that's not what scripture teaches. Uh, As we just said, a husband's authority is not absolute. Uh, Above him is the authority of the church and the authority of the state. And above each of those is the authority of Christ. Uh, There are times, though they may be rare, uh, when one has to say, when a wife has to say, I will obey God rather than man. Number four, submission is given. Submission is given. It's not taken. It's a bit of a fine distinction, uh, uh, and, and we have to be careful with that, because there may be times where a husband will, will ask his wife uh, to, uh, will call his wife to submission on a given point, uh, but in general, if that's, if that's normally how submission works, where the husband has to take it, has to demand it, uh, then something's wrong in that home. Uh, this is a text written to wives, not written to men to tell their wives once they get home. A submission is, is meant to be freely given, not forcefully taken. Uh, th- this is the word of Christ written with love and concern for his daughters. Uh, it's, it's for them to freely give. It's what he says er- earlier as well in chapter 2. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom for evil, uh, but for good. Uh, so the call uh, to the wife is to graciously freely submit herself to the leadership of her husband out of obedience ultimately to Christ, uh, even if she, she doesn't feel that he himself deserves that submission. Uh, number five, submission also does not mean that the wife is less intelligent or less competent. Uh, it has sometimes been distorted to mean this. Uh, Genesis 1 teaches men and women are made in the image of God. Uh, There's not a hint of a greater or lesser intelligence uh, in that, uh, nor anywhere else in Scripture. Uh, Now, uh, the husband or wife may be more or less competent in different areas, but that's where they've been called to complement and bless and serve one another. 
Proverbs 31 paints the picture of, of, of the virtuous wife, and it is very plain that she is both intelligent and competent uh, in, a, in a great number of fields and disciplines, yet she embraces, first and foremost, her calling as a wife uh, and serves her husband and her children with all of her unique gifts. Number six, submission does not mean that men are superior and women inferior. That's uh, related to the point just made. Uh, It's a point that shouldn't have to be made, and yet it does have to be made because there are men who think this. Uh, and, And I should add, there are women sometimes who think this. Now, the clear biblical teaching from beginning to end uh, is that men and women are created equal in the image of God, uh, equal bearers of that special dignity and honor of being called the children of God. Uh, You notice in verse 7, the the verse that's addressed to husbands, uh, Peter reminds them, your wives are co-heirs with you of the grace of life. Uh, There's Perfect equality. Difference in gifts, difference in callings, perfect equality. Uh, and finally, submission also does not mean that, that wives don't have a, a leading role in the home alongside of their husbands. The biblical design is that husband and wife uh, work together in their unique ways uh, to together lead their children. Uh, the biblical command again in Exodus 20 is children honor your father and your mother. There's, there's a leadership function there as well. So those are, those are important points that, that submission does not mean. Uh, that being said, submission does mean in the first place for the husband that he is called to lead uh, his wife and children. And that for the wife, she is called to honor, support, and submit to that leadership as a calling given by God. That means then for the husband, he is to take responsibility for his family as Christ does for us. To take ownership of his calling to lead in godliness and righteousness. To be proactive, to be wise in the way that he leads his family. To provide for them as well. Uh, There's the Proverbs 31 woman, but behind that, uh, if you're reading carefully, there's a Proverbs 31 man. A husband who provides for his wife, who gives her the flax and linen and all these other things that she's said to be working on with her hands. So the husband is called to lead, and that doesn't mean he unilaterally takes decisions or makes decisions on behalf of his family without the counsel and participation of his wife. But for the wife, that means that that you are called to honor, to affirm, to support your husband's calling to lead. Because that's a calling given him by God. Uh, It is a foolish wife who hurts herself, uh, who seeks to usurp or ignore or contradict or disrespect the God-given leadership of her husband. Uh, She's called by God for her good to, to, to submit to the, to the husband that God has placed over her. Now, there, there is in, in Christian marriage a, a uh, unique dynamic of, uh, of a husband being both over his wife, but also beside his wife. Uh, he, he must be beside her in making decisions with her, uh, in making sure that she is heard, in presenting a united front also uh, in the leadership of their children, in seeing to it that they are one, uh, though two, they are also to be one. Uh, 
Yet on, at the end of the day, uh, he is also called, he, to give uh, account to God. When Adam and Eve fell into sin in Genesis 3, God called to the man. said, Adam, where are you? Because the man is the head of his wife, the head of his family, and therefore the one whom God will call to account to take leadership and responsibility. And and wives are called to honor that in their uh, husbands. Uh, And this is true, this calling is true, even if a wife doesn't think that her husband is worthy in himself of that kind of deference. Uh, Even if she thinks, well, he's not a competent leader. Uh, As we just saw, submission isn't based upon intelligence or competence, uh, though God does often give those gifts. Uh, In some respects, the husband that's in view here in in 1 Peter 3 uh, is not a competent leader, at least not spiritually. He's not even a believer. Uh, But that does not nullify the calling of the godly wife. Uh, Rather, she she honors that calling as something given by God, not as something uh, deserved by her husband in and of himself. Uh, In addition to this, the the godly wife, the Christian wife in this text, is called to recognize that, that God has placed her in this relationship for her good. This is where we we need to be humble uh, and submit ourselves to the leadership of God, knowing that, uh, trusting that He knows what is good for us. Uh, To those wives who who struggle with this calling, as I'm sure every wife does uh, from time to time, remember that God is speaking here to His own daughters, desiring the good of His daughters. When God calls wives to a relationship of submission to their husbands, it is for their good that He does so. And we need to trust that. It's for your good that you, that you are called to promote the honor and dignity of your husband. God wants that for your good. And it's for the good of your children, too. Uh, For your daughters. Uh, Consider, wives, what an impact it has upon your daughters for them to see you honoring and submitting to your husband. Uh, What what can more powerfully instill in them uh, the the desire to find a godly man to whom they can also trust uh, and submit, uh, who, who can provide for them a place of strength and safety? When they know this is what marriage is, uh, then, then they will seek the kind of man who can fit into that kind of marriage. And think of what an impact it has on your sons. Uh, when, when they see you submitting to your husband, uh, you teach them this is what it means to be a man. Uh, one who leads, one who takes responsibility. Uh, what, what can more powerfully instill in, in them uh, an understanding of, of the weight of their calling? So do not underestimate the the power of quiet, godly submission on the part of a wise Christian wife. It is a a weapon that God wields most powerfully for his kingdom and for your family's good. Conversely, an, an unsubmissive wife is doing herself no favors, neither for herself, nor for her husband, nor for her sons, nor for her daughters. Uh, she, she robs her husband of his dignity as, as her head. Uh, she undermines and ultimately destroys her own family. 
and, and this is true whether or not the husband is, is competent, uh, because every husband will be beset with weakness. The question is, do you uh, lead your, or, or do you do you affirm your husband's uh, calling to lead? Uh, do you affirm the calling that he has from God? Uh, an unsubmissive spirit will not help a, a man to grow in godliness, in manliness, or in wisdom. Uh, it will only prolong immaturity and incompetence. It enables and exacerbates an unwillingness to lead. Uh, so do not be the wife that seeks to wear the pants, uh, so to speak, in the family. Don't desire that. Don't take that uh, if an incompetent, immature husband offers it to you. And certainly don't be the wife that brags about that sort of thing to her girlfriends, as some wives uh, foolishly do. Uh, and consider the, the impact that an unsubmissive relationship in marriage has upon the children. Uh, boys, it's, it's been shown that boys who grow up in a home where the wife rules over the husband, uh, boys, those boys grow up disoriented, passive, and weak. Uh, in some cases as well, they, they can swing to the opposite end of the spectrum, being overly aggressive and insecure because they see uh, women as enemies, as competition for their leadership. Uh, they've never seen what godly leadership looks like in the home. Uh, and girls likewise, girls who grow up in a home where, where the mom is aggressive and dominant, uh, they grow up as well uh, profoundly insecure, not knowing what it means to find uh, strength and support in a wise, godly man who knows how to lead. Oftentimes this results in intense conflict as well when, when they uh, go forward to get married uh, because their marriage becomes an immediate struggle for dominance rather than a harmonious relationship uh, according to God's design. And so what we want to do is we want to recognize that what God calls us to, He calls us to for our good. Uh, he has reasons and there, are, there is life and there is wholeness in, in following after the calling of God for both men and women and also for children. Uh, so wives then, honor your husbands, submit to them, do it for the sake of Christ. Uh, do it for the sake of your, your husband, for, for the sake of your children, and in faith, trusting in God, also for your own sake, knowing that God will work this for good. Now, that kind of godly submission, Peter uh, also adds to this, that kind of godly submission is also accompanied by the pursuit of true and lasting beauty. There's another hugely countercultural uh, message uh, in our day. Uh, Peter says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but rather let the, your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Well, sisters, God's call to you is to cultivate the, the kind of beauty and the kind of grace that is true and lasting, not the kind that quickly fades. Now, Peter is not saying, of course, that, that wives should be uh, frumpy, that they should uh, pay no, no attention at all to their appearance. Uh, I can hardly see how that would be good, a good evangelistic witness to their non-Christian husbands. 
so, so Peter's point is not that there's something wrong with braided hair or gold jewelry in and of themselves. He's not prohibiting those things. There are some sects, uh, Christian sects, that have uh, determined that, that Scripture forbids these things and they adopt legalistic rules about you can't braid your hair, you can't wear gold jewelry. That's not Peter's point. Peter's point is that should not be what makes you beautiful. That should not be uh, from where you draw your beauty. If if that's the only thing or the primary thing that makes you beautiful, uh, then that beauty is is not only superficial, but it's also very quickly fading. Indeed, uh, wise men will recognize that that kind of beauty, even in its prime, uh, if that's all there is, is not truly beautiful. Proverbs 11, verse 22, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. That's not a verse that gets a whole lot of uh, preaching. I haven't seen that one yet on on bumper stickers. Uh, But there's truth to it, and and wise men know this, and wise women know this as well. There's nothing beautiful uh, about a shallow, flirtatious, uh, foolish woman, even if she's outwardly, physically attractive. There's nothing truly beautiful there. And how badly, how badly our culture needs to hear that message. You go to the women's magazines at the, at the checkout in the grocery store, and that's the only kind of beauty you find there. Uh, how to have a, a sexy body, a sexy uh, hair, sexy lipstick, and, and on and on it goes. And this becomes to women a cruel and an unforgiving God uh, that is never satisfied and that will always ultimately fade. It holds every, every woman under the terrifying truth that all that makes you beautiful is quickly fading and will soon be gone. It's perishing. And Peter alludes to this when he speaks of the the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, contrasted with the perishable beauty of outward adornment and appearance. It doesn't matter uh, what you do to prolong aging. Aging will come. Uh, So don't let that be your primary source of beauty. Don't live under the agony that all that makes you beautiful will soon be gone. Let your focus be on the cultivating of an inner beauty, an imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, some of you, may, uh, some of you ladies may, may struggle with uh, the word quiet. Uh, Peter speaks of a gentle and quiet spirit. Uh, Peter does not mean, of course, uh, that beautiful women uh, should be silent all the time, like wall decorations in the house. That's obviously not what is meant. Uh, no wise husband desires that either. Uh, the woman in Proverbs 31, she speaks. You see her speaking. Uh, the bride in the Song of Songs speaks. She's passionate, but she's also wise. Uh, what Peter is advocating here uh, is something that applies really to men and women, uh, and it's the mark of wisdom, wisdom that is slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. That's James 1, 19. It's the meekness of, uh, that, is the, that is the characteristic of all wise men and women whose hope and fear is in the Lord. So the wise wife, when he speaks of a gentle and quiet spirit, it means the wise wife knows when to speak. She knows how to speak, and she speaks with a wise tone and a godly character. And by doing so, uh, she helps her husband want to hear her. 
The wise woman, uh, the husband wants to listen to her. Uh, The foolish woman uh, will, will have a husband who does not want to hear her. Now, what's most amazing, uh, what I found most striking about this whole passage is that at the end here, Peter appeals to the example of Sarah. That's pretty troubling, that Peter appeals to the example of Sarah. Uh, because you could find, a lot of, you could find many better examples of, of godly submission uh, than Sarah. Uh, in fact, probably almost any other woman in Scripture would serve as a better example than Sarah. Uh, Sarah not only at times made terrible decisions, for example, suggesting to her husband that he sleep with her slave in order to bear offspring, uh, but she also submitted at times when she ought not to have submitted. Uh, we think of when Peter or when Abraham told Sarah to tell uh, Pharaoh that that she was just his uh, um, his his sister. Well, there, there was a time where she ought not to have submitted. Uh, but what Peter's referring to here is not the egregious uh, failures demonstrated by Sarah, of which she, she may have many, but simply the, the overall respect that she demonstrated towards her husband, despite her weaknesses and despite his weaknesses. And the specific incident he's referring to is the one we read about in Genesis 18. And I bet you didn't notice it unless you had had read Peter uh, beforehand. What what Peter highlights is something that that Sarah says in passing. Something that you don't even notice as you read the text. Uh, It's not what the passage is about. Uh, Sarah says it without even thinking it. She says in verse 12, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have the pleasure of having a child? It's interesting that Peter refers to this passage uh, given how, how insignificant it seems. But that's really exactly the point, isn't it? It's that Sarah says this. She calls her husband, my Lord, in passing unintentionally, without even thinking. Uh, That's what Peter wants us to see. Uh, It's what Sarah says in the privacy of her own mind. When she didn't even know that anyone could hear her, she still calls her husband, my Lord. I know that, that sounds extreme. Uh, and to be sure, Lord, the word Lord in that culture did have a wider connotation. It meant something more like sir. Uh, but, but most certainly, even then, it communicated respect. And that's the striking thing, uh, that, that in the privacy of her own mind, she held honor and respect for her own husband. And that despite many, many weaknesses on his part. Well, sisters, that's what Peter is calling you as wives to as well, to learn by the grace of God, to honor and respect your husband, not just in front of him, but also behind him, even, in fact, in the privacy of your own minds. That's a weighty calling, but it's a noble one, and one that, just like the the submission of citizens to an ungodly government, just like the submission of slaves to perhaps cruel masters, uh, it's a a calling that is noticed and rewarded by God himself, uh, by the God who's called you to his grace. And such a demeanor, Peter reminds us, can have a transformative effect upon your husband. 
Uh, by seeing it, he can be won to the gospel as he observes his wife uh, and her pure and respectful conduct. Uh, you will discover uh, that such a demeanor does not hinder your witness, but in fact helps your witness to your husband. That is provided one thing that Peter mentions, provided that that submission is not driven by fear. Uh, he, he holds that out. Uh, hear Peter's encouragement in this. You are, he says, the true children of Sarah in this regard, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. There's a kind of, of feminine submission that does no help to a husband, that doesn't, in fact, even honor a husband, because it's submission that's driven out of fear. Uh, that is not what Christ is calling you to. Fear-driven submission, it may for a time look outwardly similar to godly submission, but inwardly it is a very different thing, and it produces a very different fruit. It leads to compromise. It leads to failure. Uh, It enables a sinful husband to control and domineer over his wife, uh, to get away with enduring patterns of sin that she refuses to help him with. Well, that kind of submission uh, is not what Christ is calling you to, but rather one that is heartfelt, that is motivated uh, not by the fear of man, but by the fear of God, and is therefore a fearless submission, a courageous submission. Now, the profound biblical teaching is that we, both men and women, uh, when we are ruled by the fear of man, We become cowards and failures. When we are ruled by the fear of God, we become uh, become courageous and fearless. When Jesus went to the cross, he did so in submission, in submission to God the Father. But he did so courageously and boldly. Uh, It was his courage that enabled him to submit. And that is the path that he also calls you to. Just a couple of practical applications to end on. First, for single women, single women who hope to be married one day. Uh, Because this is what Christ calls you to, be careful that you choose a man, that you find a man that you can follow. If he is immature, if he is still just a boy, if he spends all his free time playing video games, uh, or if he cares more about his toys than he cares about you, uh, if he doesn't honor his father or mother, or if he uses you for his own pleasure, do not marry him. That is not a man you'll be able to submit to and follow in the course of your marriage. Uh, In your dating relationships, uh, for those young ladies who are dating, you ought to feel like, uh, like, like a younger sister in that relationship. One who is treated with honor, with dignity and with respect, and, and with a boyfriend who can lead by example in godliness. Uh, so if in your dating relationship you function more like his mother than like his sister, uh, then, then either now is not the time or, or he is not the right guy. I'm preaching this because this is the sermon I would want my daughter to hear. Uh, save yourself from a painful and difficult marriage. Save yourself for a man who can truly lead you. Secondly, to, to, to wives, uh, do talk to your husbands about this. Uh, have space in the home for this conversation. Be humble uh, and teachable and ready to listen. 
You might ask your husbands, do you feel that I am submissive to you? Uh, You might as well ask other godly women uh, in in your life, uh, does my demeanor towards my husband communicate deference and honor and respect? Uh, For mothers, uh, speak to your daughters as well about this. Uh, Model it for them and and make opportunities to encourage them uh, in this. And finally then, for mothers of boys, uh, for mothers of boys, God has placed you in authority over your sons. They are called by God to honor and obey you as long as they are in the home. Hold them to that standard for their own sake. They, as men, they must be, uh, later on in their life, in authority, but also under authority. If they don't learn in the home what it means to be under authority, they will not learn that later on. Uh, But at the same time, help them to become strong and mature leaders. And the best way to do this is by showing them the honor and submission uh, that you you direct towards your husband, the, the, the dignity that you hold your husband to. Uh, That that kind of manliness is caught uh, oftentimes more than it is taught. And then lastly, uh, above everything else, let all of us look to Jesus Christ. You want to see what godly submission, courageous submission looks like? Look to Jesus Christ. Uh, He humbly and submissively obeyed the Father. He courageously submitted both to the church authorities and to the state authorities, though they were both wrong. Uh, Yet he honored them as authorities placed over him by God. Uh, And yet he did so still maintaining his highest allegiance to God the Father. And he did this out of love for you, uh, that you might be saved and made the heirs and heiresses of eternal life. And for that submission, he was exalted by God the Father, uh, to whom all of us, husbands and wives, must ultimately give account. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by singing together from 